What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of Be Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on the evening of Thursday, May 12th. I know we spoke last night, a little bit after midnight. I said it was May 12th on our episode following Game 2 of the Cardinals series against the Baltimore Orioles. But today they wrap things up Thursday afternoon at Bush Stadium with a game that the Cardinals probably want to forget, a series that they would like to forget as the Orioles defeated the Cardinals 3-2 to Thursday afternoon at Bush Stadium. The offense just was not there again for the Cardinals. And it feels kind of weird to talk about the Cardinals offense as being a, a unit that is underperforming, that's not doing enough, because it does seem like every third day or so they score eight runs or they score ten runs. That's what they did on Wednesday, the 10-1 to win over Baltimore in game two of the series. But it seems like so often they follow up those great games, those nights where one through nine in the batting order, everything is clicking, the line is moving, they're hitting the ball hard, they're taking good, consistent at-bats. It seems like they follow those games up so often with the kinds of games that they had on Thursday where you just shake your head and wonder exactly what gives, what needs to be done in order to fix the problems that seem to exist beneath the surface. And for the Cardinals on Thursday, it would have been on paper, I think, a game that you you could have expected some success offensively. You had an opener slated to go for the Orioles, and typically you'd think an opener might pitch an inning, an inning plus, maybe get through two innings. Brian Baker was the right-hander on the mound to begin the game for Baltimore with left-hander Keegan Aiken slated to take his place after, you know, an inning or two. And that's why Albert Pujols was in the lineup. He's actually playing first base rather than DH, and Goldie was the DH today. But Albert was in the lineup because they knew that the lefty, the bulk reliever, was going to be Keegan Aiken. That was kind of the plan coming into the game for Baltimore. And so, made sense. But with Baker, you've got a guy who's got an ERA close to five, You don't necessarily anticipate him being able to shut your lineup down, but if he pitches an inning or two and does a nice job, whatever, then you you have Keegan Aiken, who, to his credit, Aiken has gotten off to a pretty good start this season, the left-hander for the Orioles. Even prior to Thursday, he, he had pitched pretty well recently. Has kind of been in that role kind of feels like an Andre Palante role where he's pitching a couple of innings per, per appearance rather than pitching as a starter. And I think the, the Orioles, you know, they've been losing for several years in a row now, and they've got to figure out a way to turn that around eventually. And they're playing a little better baseball lately. I don't think that they're a 500 baseball team this season. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I, I think they'll be able to get out of the doldrums of, you know, losing 90 something hundred games like they have been pretty frequently in recent years. And so they're taking some of these strategies and adopting them like you've seen from from teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been wildly successful using openers and and diving into the analytics. And so I think the Rays have, have sort of set the benchmark for that. And then you've seen the Dodgers and the Giants really lean in and the Orioles perhaps going into that a little bit as well. So Keegan Aiken intended to be the second guy into the game for the Orioles in what was basically a bullpen game. Brian Baker had not made a start this season. He served as a reliever strictly before today's game and entered the day with a 5.40 ERA. Well, it took until the third inning of work for him 
for the Cardinals to get a base hit. Andrew Kisner was the first man to reach base against Baker, and at that point he was taken out of the game because they they probably felt like they were playing with house money at that point anyway. But Baker ends up getting into the third inning and recording out there after not having pitched more than an inning and two-thirds at any point this season. Cardinals couldn't do anything against him. Guy with a five-and-a-half ERA coming into the day shuts the Cardinals down for, for multiple innings. Okay, Keegan Aiken comes in, does a nice job, does the same thing. Again, he's pitched better this year, but Cardinals should be able to hit this guy. I mean, the Cardinals lineup is built to just drill left-handed pitching, and it's been one of the best lineups in the major leagues this season at doing that. The difference between the Cardinals' performance against lefties and righties has been pretty night and day. And so you felt like this could be an afternoon where the bats could get going. But remember, they did yesterday. So is it allowed to happen two days in a row? Evidently not. Not in this case, anyway. As the Cardinals fall 3-2 to two to the Orioles, Baltimore ends up using a total of six pitchers to dice through the Cardinals lineup. Cardinals come up with six hits and two runs. Reached base via walk three times, nine strikeouts offensively for the Cardinals in this game. Orioles' bullpen's looking a little better than they once did. That that Felix Bautista guy, he's huge. He ends up closing the game out for the Orioles, his second save not only of the season but of the series because both of those saves came during the series while Baltimore closer Jorge Lopez has been on the bereavement list. He's a big guy, throws triple digits. And you just didn't see the kind of at-bats, I think, throughout this game for the Cardinals that that you want. You know, Ali Marmolis talked a lot throughout the series Talked about it after game one and said that ninth inning was good when the Cardinals dropped game one, but they mounted a little bit of a rally late. Brennan Donovan had the ninth inning home run. Bader had the two run inside the Parker. Cardinals lost that game nine to three. And Ollie said, I'd like to see those kinds of at-bats consistently throughout the course of the game. Innings one through nine. I want to see us turn the lineup over and continue to grind out those types of ABs, not just do it in the ninth inning, not just do it as sort of a cursory last hurrah just to say you did, to be able to say, you know, hey, we didn't give up. And I think, and I was a fan of Mike Schilt, but I'm going to I'm gonna point out something that I think is a positive about Ali Marmol that maybe Mike Schilt uh, deviated a little bit too far into some of the happy talk, the, the overly positive discussion about the team after losses, whereas I don't think you're going to see that as much with Ali Marmol, and I don't think you have, even in some of the games that we've seen from the Cardinals this season that have been kind of disappointing. I think from Ali, you, you pretty much are going to you're gonna get what you get. You're going to get an honest assessment of what he saw from his team throughout a game. And so that's why he said, yeah, you've got to be better than that, and we want to be able to to do that throughout the whole game, not just the last inning, not just after we built this deficit and we've got to try to dig our way out of a hole. That's not a, a recipe for success long-term. And so I, you know, I think fans appreciate that as well, that you get a little candor there, you get some honesty and he'll tell you when something doesn't look right. And I would say throughout this series, the Cardinals had plenty of times where it didn't look right, but in game two, 10 to one, that was a great win. The bats. I mean, literally we went through it yesterday on B shape daily, the entire lineup one through nine reached base. I think Yachty was the only one without a hit or a walk, but he got on base in, in in order to score a run at one point in that game. Had the great first to third. People were wondering about what his sprint speed was on that first to third back on uh, Wednesday's game, Wednesday night at Bush Stadium. But Thursday was kind of more of the same where I, I feel like 
And in this case, I didn't get the chance to see the post game because I had to get back home from Bush to do radio. But I feel like this is a day where you would have heard the manager say, yeah, we could have seen some better at-bats, innings maybe one through seven. Cardinals started to mount that charge late. They did score a run in the seventh and a run in the eighth. It was actually Dylan Carlson that got him on the board with a home run in the seventh, and that was right as I was boarding the press elevator to leave the ballpark. And before the elevator attendant allowed the door to close to send it down, the TV in the room, you heard Danny Mack getting pretty excited. So she put her arm out and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to see what's going on here. Dylan Carlson got into one, the left field, hit one into the, the visiting bullpen, I believe it was. And so good to see from him his second home run of the year. But it was just throughout the course of the game, the at-bats, I don't think we're on par with with the consistency, right, that you want the Cardinals to show. That's kind of the key word, I think, that we continue to bring up because this is an offense that can score runs. They do it with relative frequency. And on the days where they're on, they don't have any trouble at all. You can just kind of feel it in the air. It's going to be a crooked number. It's going to be eight runs. It's going to maybe be double digits, 10 runs like it was on Wednesday. But then it's just like on the days where they can't generate anything. It just doesn't feel the same. You don't have the same vibe. And I know it's a hard game. Baseball, you play 162 games a year and there are going to be games where you're you're on it. There's going to be games where you aren't. And that's true of every team, even the best teams. I mean, the Dodgers lost a series to the Pirates this week. Those kinds of things are going to happen. But I feel like for the Cardinals, that that feast or famine mentality is really a, a little more prevalent. At least it feels that way, right? And has felt that way over the, the recent seasons. Where there's just not as many games where they just score a, a sturdy four or five runs. Like, that's going to be about their average but that's going to be after you look at the days where they go for 10 and then the next day they go for two. And so what's the way, I mean, when you boil it down, what's the way that they find that consistency, that they consistently get those big games that are going to come where you score nine runs maybe or 11 runs? Those those days are great. Those days are fun days to be at the ballpark. But then what about turning the days where it's a little bit of a struggle but you grind through anyway, and instead of coming up with a 3-2 loss, maybe you get a 4-3 win. Those days where you you make something out of nothing, where it just doesn't feel like the whole lineup is in sync at, at its highest potential, but you, you get it done anyway. And again, that's not going to happen every time, but I feel like for the Cardinals, getting it to happen a little more frequently would be the goal. And how do you make that happen? Well, we've seen the infusion of the youth. We talked a lot yesterday about Yepes and Brennan Donovan. Go back and check out that episode of B-Shape Daily from, uh, technically it was Thursday morning by the time I posted it, but from after Wednesday's game, one episode prior to this on your list, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, check out B-Shape Daily. Do me a favor and subscribe. Talked a lot about Donovan and Yepes. And today, Thursday, they were back in the lineup. Yep, has started the game in the outfield and in right field. Day off for Harrison Bader. Donovan back at shortstop. Edmundo Sosa did get activated for Kramer Robertson, as we figured he would, but did not 
find his way into the lineup. I think that was a case of the Cardinals. And, and I, hearing Ali Marmol on Wednesday night, I really thought it might have just been Sosa because he wasn't ready to commit to Donovan in the lineup when John Denton of MLB.com asked the manager about that. Said, would he? did he do enough to earn that third straight start? And he said, well, you know, he kind of grinned. We'll, we'll get to talking about that later tonight. Well, ultimately, this, the decision was yes, he had done enough. Didn't get a hit on Thursday, 0 for 2 with a walk. Same story for Yepes, 0 for 3 with a walk. So both guys reached base, but no hits for either of the young guns that have been getting opportunities. But those are the guys that have kind of backfilled and provided that spark, that energy, that you weren't really counting on. You knew you'd see them throughout the year, but they neither Yepes or Donovan need to be the primary studs of this team. Coming into the year, that was supposed to be Goldschmidt. It was supposed to be Arenado. It was supposed to be O'Neal. And I would go as far as to say it was supposed to be Carlson. I think those four with Tommy Edmonds certainly on the cusp of that conversation. And Edmonds has pretty much performed as anticipated, maybe even a little better. And you might be thinking, what do you mean a little better? He's been great. Well, I mean, he's kind of dipped back down a little bit lately. Still hitting 284. You like to see that. A lot of times with a leadoff man, you say you want on base, and that's true. You'd like to see Edmund have a higher on base, and that's the reason that I thought it made sense to move him down in the lineup from last year anyway because his on-base percentage in 2021 wasn't all that high. Just a 308 on base for Edmund last year. That's not really good enough to be a leadoff man. We talked about liking other elements of what Tommy did at leadoff in 2021. The 30 steals was a big part of that. You go 30 for 35 in stolen base attempts. That's a pretty big deal. Because as a leadoff man, when you do get on base, that puts you pretty frequently moving from first to second. That's It's like 30 extra doubles, you know, compared to the the 41 doubles that he hit. And that's another aspect of it. He was constantly hitting doubles. And so you add 30 more to that, that that's just a, an exceptional rate of getting into scoring position. And that's another big part of being the leadoff man. You want to score runs. He scored 91 runs last year. But you just thought, man, if he could raise that on base from 308, he could really be a weapon. And coming into the day, he was at 380. Perfect. That dipped a little bit because he went one for four. But still a solid on-base rate. Anything above 350 is really, really strong. And I think that's worthy of being the leadoff guy. Hitting 284 now, perfectly good batting average. And so Edmund would be the one guy that I would say he maybe has exceeded expectations. But I say just be careful because the OPS is dipping. It's now to 808. It was 850 his rookie year when he did so well. Last two seasons, it was about 690. So there's a pretty big disparity there. If he can be an 800 OPS guy, I think that'd be great. As long as that OBP is above 350, you're feeling good about that. Feeling good about him as the leadoff guy. Let him have a, a good stolen base rate. He leads the, the National League right now in steals with seven. Only has been caught one time. And so he's the one that you go, yeah, you're you're pretty pleased with what you're seeing from him over the course of the full season. Goldschmidt, you wouldn't say that over the course of the entire season, but the numbers are now getting to a point where, I mean, his OPS is above 800. That's pretty good especially considering where he came from. He started off pretty poorly to begin the year. So that's solid. He stole his third base today as well, if I'm not mistaken. Feel good about Goldsmith. Feel good about Arenado. He's kind of going through it a little bit right now. One for three, had an RBI hit today. 
but the OPS has dipped below 1,000. He was up at 1,100, so he's kind of slumping a little bit right now. Still 974, still hitting 316, still having an all-star caliber season, but you'd like to see him start to inject a little bit more power again. You're, you're happy with your performance from Arenado. After that, though, I don't think you could really point to anybody else in the lineup. Talking about the the full-time guys that have that have been there from the beginning, and have at least registered enough at bats to be able to make a kind of a determination about about the season that they've had so far. I don't know that there's anybody else that you'd really say, "Yep, they've really hit on the expectations so far." Carlson had the home run today, but no, you wouldn't say that about Carlson's season as a whole. OPS of six thirty three, two twenty five batting average. It's got to go up. I don't know that you'd say that about Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader's kind of in an okay spot. 242 average. That might be about what he does. He's taken enough walks to get the on-base above 300. He's at 315. It's not great. Could be better, especially for a guy of his speed. Also tied for the league lead in steals, and he's not been caught. 7 for 7. But a 689 OPS. Pop a couple more doubles, a couple homers. Bader needs to be about a 725 7 to 740 OPS guy. And that would still be a little bit below average. But I think you'd take that. In another aspect of this, I said he needs to be 730. He's 689 right now. His OPS plus is 104. Because what that does is compares it to the league average. And all offensive production is down across the game this year. So he's actually still slightly above average for center fielders. OPS plus takes into account the position you play and then spits out where you rate offensively relative to your peers at that position. So maybe I should step off Bader for a moment. I still think he's got more in the tank, but relative to the league, he's doing okay. But Carlson, you want to see more. You want to see Goldsmith and Arenado continue where they've been, especially Goldsmith lately. He's He's been pretty red hot as of late. Today, he started off the game 0 for 3, had a pop-up, two strikeouts, and then came through with a nice base hit that led to getting that Tommy Edmond run in in the eighth inning, I believe it was. So you like what you're seeing from him. Tyler O'Neill, though, that's that's a guy we probably have to talk about. Because, again, I listed Goldsmith, Orinato, Carlson, O'Neill as kind of the big four guys that you you really knew would need to carry your lineup coming into the season. And we've talked about two of those, Goldie and Orinato, kind of doing what, what you'd hoped on, on the aggregate, on the whole and saying Carlson hasn't been there, and O'Neal, I think, is maybe the most egregious example of, of a guy who's not been there. And we can talk about Paul DeYoung, too. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but he wasn't in that that kind of Mount Rushmore of here are the Cardinals that need to carry you offensively. He was more than bonus territory. You, you really would have liked to have seen him be a league average hitter because his defense is solid, but they didn't, you know, they haven't, enjoyed that kind of production from him and he's in triple a right now trying to figure it out but Tyler O'Neill it's a different story he was a guy that you had as the best hitter on your team last year 912 OPS down ballot MVP votes he was an MVP candidate and coming into this year you thought maybe he could be again and it just has not played out that way and today was not a good day for Tyler O'Neill Thursday and the loss to the Orioles was not was not Tun's day. 0 for 3 to start the game. He was 0 for the series, I believe, at that point. 
after sitting out game two, taking a rest day on game two. And the at-bats just didn't look good. So we talked about a little bit at the beginning where you got at-bats where you want to see that consistency, that game plan, and O'Neill just kind of looked a little bit lost in some of his at-bats on Thursday. I thought he brought it back nicely, though, with the at-bat that he took in the ninth inning, at least temporarily, because he was fouling off pitches, he was taking close pitches, and the hit that he got was a doinker that landed basically on the chalk line, on the right field foul line, so an opposite field fister that just happened to, to drop fair, get himself a base hit. He's still just the body language on first base just looked like he was disappointed. Even though at that point you gotta you gotta switch the you gotta flip the switch. You gotta recognize that you're the the tying run in this game. And with his speed, you figure maybe he's gonna steal second base. And there was a little bit of thought to that at one point in the at bat. He kind of started and stopped, was getting into the pitcher's head. That's good. That's exactly what you want to do. I just felt like, though, after the hit, kind of looking at the look on his face, it was still just like like it was his expectation to be 2021 Tyler O'Neill, be a slugger, and tie the game on your own. And sometimes you're not going to be going hot, and you have to be able to do some other things. And the problem there that crept in for Tyler O'Neill is the, the thing that he tried to do was the mistake that ended the game for the Cardinals. Little blooper into shallow center field. The shortstop Mateo was going out toward center field, back toward the infield to catch this pop-up. And O'Neill got himself caught in no man's land. He got himself caught straying too far from first base. And really, it wasn't like he strayed and then realized it and doubled back. He was already past second base and, and basically had decided this ball was going to drop. And that was the the read that he had on this pop fly to shallow center. One out in the ninth inning. And it was just a mistake. It was, it was a bad play. It's a play that can't happen. And it did to O'Neill in the midst of, of a, a, a troublesome time at the plate. He had a bad read on the ball, gets doubled off of first base, and that ends the ball game. Cardinals lose to the Orioles 3-2. to two. And it's just like, how much lower can you sink? Certainly has to be the feeling, I think, after a moment like that for O'Neill. 200 batting average on the season, 581 OPS. It's really the lowest OPS of any of the Cardinals regulars, not counting Molina and not counting at this point Paul DeYoung, given that he is in AAA. Which DeYoung, by the way, if you'd like an update on him, it's things aren't going any better now that he's gotten with the Memphis Redbirds. They're in Norfolk this week taking on the Orioles affiliate, the Tides. And DeYoung gets down there, gets into the lineup, and has to face top prospect Grayson Rodriguez, one of uh, Baltimore's pitching prospects, one of the top pitching prospects in Major League Baseball. But that's not the main point of why today didn't go great for him. He struck out on a pitch clock violation, of all things. Had an 0-2 count and stepped out of the batter's box, didn't get back in quickly enough, and the umpire rang him up for it. And man, the slow way he walked back to the dugout didn't get a look at his face in that video, but I can imagine it. That's kind of demoralizing. Guy's down there trying to fix his swing, trying to develop an approach at the plate. And the approach that he was using was one that took too long to get back into the box, and he struck out without even seeing a third pitch. Pretty brutal. I, I hope he can find a way to turn it around. But that's how things were going 
on Thursday for PDJ down with the Memphis Redbirds. But O'Neal, among the Cardinals regulars, has been one of the worst performers, whereas last year he was the best in several categories. And Ali Marmol didn't waste a lot of time. I know it's been about a month, a little over a month into the season, but he's batted in all sorts of positions in the lineup, and they've moved him down. They haven't, you know, they haven't uh, decided he's got to remain entrenched in the three-hole. For a while, he was, and people were wondering why it took so long, and my response to that was, have you seen the rest of the lineup? Who do you propose takes his place? But they've done some reorganizing, and I think that Edmund Goldschmidt, Arenado, one through three, is is a solid situation. Yepes, for as long as Juan Yepes is able to to keep it going offensively, him batting cleanup is fine by me. I feel like you could go ahead and put Nolan Gorman in that list and have him bat fifth, and you'd have a pretty formidable one through five, with maybe Dylan Carlson batting sixth. But at a certain point, you'd have to take one of those guys out of the lineup to find room for Yepes. Or you put Gorman uh, at second base with Edmund at shortstop, and they seemed hesitant to do that, and I get that you might be sacrificing defensively, but gosh darn, wouldn't we like to just see it once, just to see what it looks like? Like when Brendan Donovan was put into the lineup for the first time as the shortstop, what did you think? Did you think, oh, this is going to go right? I didn't. I thought, does this guy play shortstop? Are they, are they for real about this? I had no idea, but guess what? He looks fine. He's doing a fine job. He's, he's an athletic kid. Guess who else is? Tommy Edmond. Athletic player, good glove, good fielder. Strong enough arm, I think, to be able to handle shortstop. And that's the other thing, too. I'd rather than put Tommy Edmond in the lineup at shortstop tomorrow to just do it once. If you're worried about whether or not that's going to look right, why don't you do it before you call Gorman up? Just try it out and see how it looks. And if it looks okay, there's maybe your answer, right? Because... It doesn't have to be every day that Edmund would play shortstop, but if Gorman gets to play second, I don't know, three times a week and DH twice, it means no at-bats for Corey Dickerson, but that's that's okay. No offense. He's hitting 192 with a 477 OPS. He's not going to be a guy that hits for power. What's the upside of Dickerson compared to Gorman? Two left-handed bats. Forget positional flexibility because we're not really seeing these guys in the field Anyway, Dickerson's he DH'd yesterday when he was in the lineup. And so I feel like given, and it may not be fair to Dickerson, but given where this lineup is, I don't think you can devote the playing time to him to give proof of concept to the fact that maybe he's still a solid ball player and still can hit it at the big league level the way you need him to because you're not just going to run him out there in the lineup for the next seven days and leave him in for all nine innings because you're going to play the platoons and I just don't think that we've seen enough upside in the month that he's been here to be able to project that there's going to be a lot of it moving forward. Like, at the end of the day, if he played a full season, I don't think Dickerson's going to hit 192. I think he's going to hit closer to 260. And that's okay. That's a solid average. I think he's going to, on base, above 300. I think he's going to, you know, he's going to find his way on base, but I don't think he's going to hit for a lot of power. You'll get some doubles. You won't get many homers. I think if you gave him 500 plate appearances he's still not clearing double digit home runs and so I don't have those questions about Gorman he's already cleared double digit homers and you know I'm I'm on the Brendan Donovan train right now because of what he's done offensively hitting 250 with an 875 OPS that's enough power 
to justify it, and he's getting on base as well. Drew another walk today, even though he didn't get a hit. So, you know, that's another guy that you could you could maybe say loses a spot in the lineup if you're trying to make room for Gorman. But I think long term, you want to see what the upside could be for Donovan. He's going to have to battle for playing time with Edmundo Sosa as well. But that's just one of those deals where maybe the Cardinals have in, in their minds what, what Sosa is offensively and kind of what his role is. And it may not be as a starting shortstop. And I say the Cardinals have that in their mind. I don't think they do. Maybe I have that in my mind. But the Cardinals seem to think, based on the comments Mosellock made earlier in the week, that Sosa is a guy that deserves every chance to win the job at shortstop. Well, I think that's tricky. I think you got to kind of play it out. And, and you've you've gotten a sample already from Edmundo Sosa. Offensively, it hasn't been great. I like I like him. I like him as a player. I like his defense. I like the energy he brings. But I think Donovan can bring a lot of those same things. And he might be able to also provide an extra layer of power to the equation of damaging impact on offense. So these are the kind of the situations that we're going to continue to talk about. Because when you don't have your primary guys going, Goldsmith, Arenado, O'Neal, and I would I would include Carlson in that as well. If you don't have those four going, to cover up some of the 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 spots marks on the offense, you're going to have to have other guys step up, and they're not always going to be able to do it. Today was a day where nobody got a multi-hit game, and it was just kind of a blah day offensively for the Cardinals. And your your spark plugs, Yepes and Donovan didn't get hits. They went 0 for 5. They did get two walks, but they didn't get hits, so there wasn't a lot of punch there packed by the offense. Albert was in the lineup. Again, I think he was starting because of the the bulk reliever being Aikens, a lefty, and they thought maybe they'd see a little bit more of him than they did. Albert's down to 209 average for the season, 705 OPS. That's right about where I bet he'll finish, but I think he needs to stop getting at-bats against right-handed pitching. I think I get why he did today because they figured it would just be the one before they went to Aikens, the lefty, out of the Baltimore bullpen. But Albert doesn't need to be, you know, don't overexpose him and and start devoting some of that playing time to Yepes. You don't have to put Yepes in the corner outfield every time. But I like that Ollie's been willing to do it, not because I think he's a good outfielder defensively, but because I think guys like O'Neill and Carlson haven't played well enough necessarily to play every day. And so they're going to continue to mix and match that. I think that's fine. Kisner started for the Cardinals today with a base hit, one for three, but struck out twice. His numbers have dipped offensively. Yeah, you, you got to find that offense from somewhere. You got to find it from somewhere. And on the days where it's all working, everything's good. But on those other days, when your big guns aren't stepping up, who's going to be able to fill that void? That That's a question that I don't know that the Cardinals have confidently been able to answer yet. And that's why you're seeing plenty of those games where the offense doesn't show up. And they end up letting down the pitching is the way is the way it breaks down. Haven't talked about the pitching really yet today. Six and two-thirds innings from Steven Matz. He had a really good start, actually. But he gave up three runs because of Honestly, what I perceive to be maybe Ali Marmal going a little bit too long with him. And this is different than I think when people would say, oh, Mike Schilt was afraid to pull the plug on the starter because they wanted him to get through five innings and get the win. No, when this has been happening in recent times to Ali Marmal, it's been like, should this guy go out for the seventh or the eighth inning after he's pitching really well? And they just haven't really had their finger on the pulse of that situation lately because for Matt's today, it was six really, really good innings and then gave up two runs in the seventh, wasn't able to finish it, starts giving up home runs, that kind of thing. Still quality start, gave up three earned runs and six and two-thirds, but could have been better, right, if you would have just pulled him after six 
maybe the Cardinals win that game. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's kind of happened a couple times where I thought, man, that would have been a really good start if not for the two solo home runs that the guy gave up in his last inning of work in the seventh or the eighth or whatever. Michaelis, I think, had that situation against San Francisco last weekend. But really good pitching. You, you give up three runs as a, as a pitching staff in nine innings, that should be enough. Wicker and Gallegos and Henesis Cabrera came in, didn't allow a run, two and a third inning between the three of them. Just one hit given up by, by Cabby. Seven strikeouts for Matt's, like good pitching. Yesterday, very good pitching for Michaelis, as we talked about on B-Shape Daily on after Wednesday's game. So it's a shame to not be able to, to muster four runs against a Baltimore pitching staff that is probably a little underrated, better than it was, but it's, I, I still wouldn't go as far as to call it good. You know, and I think the, I think it was a situation where the Cardinals kind of let him off the hook, and you lose the series. Lose the series to Baltimore at home, Drop two out of three. Baltimore's 14 and 18 on the year. The Cardinals 13, or pardon me, 17 and 14. So still above 500 by a few games here. But against that Baltimore team, that's when you really want to be able to get. Cardinals couldn't do it. And so they'll have to then welcome in the Giants this weekend before heading off to New York for that rematch with the Mets. You remember with the fireworks that happened in the series a couple weeks ago at Bush that uh, you could potentially see some follow-up and some some carryover to that one in, in New York next week. But right now it's on to the Giants. Things remain black and orange at Bush Stadium as the Cardinals take on another opponent with that color scheme. And we'll see how they do over the weekend, the three-game set with San Francisco. And you're talking about the Giants being another one of those teams that's quality, right? Like you you let the Baltimore Orioles off the hook. You want to be able to beat those kinds of teams. Couldn't do it, but the Giants are a good one. The Giants have a lot of talent, got some good pitching, We'll see uh, how that series breaks down as St. Louis takes on the Giants. I probably will not end up coming to you with a recap of any of those games until probably next week. It might even be Wednesday before I get back to the nitty-gritty on the Cardinals beat. Is, uh, this is my anniversary weekend with my wife, and so we're heading out of town. And so I won't be at Bush Stadium covering these games against the Giants. And interestingly enough, we're going up toward the East Coast. Will be in New York City on Sunday, but then the Cardinals get there on Monday. I won't be, I won't be around for those games. But man, that would have been cool. Get up to Flushing. But we'll have B Shape Daily coming back at you next week. But keep an eye on the podcast feed because I I'm going to try to get one more podcast loaded and then I'll post it up closer to the weekend. Talking about that trade rumor or that trade conversation slash concept that was floated by Jim Bowden. Talked a about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast. But Nolan Gorman for Xander Bogarts, who says no, breaking down, and again, not that this is something that's imminently going to happen, but I think it's an interesting thought shower sort of concept to discuss. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit, the pros and cons. I put the Twitter poll out. It got nearly 5,000 votes. The votes leaned ever so narrowly toward the nose, but it was like 47% and change on yes and about 52.5% on no. And so it was a pretty close vote, which tells me that the opinions on this topic are split. And so that's one more podcast I'm going to try to get recorded at some point tomorrow, probably. But I'll get it posted up either Friday or Saturday for folks to listen to and maybe get you through the weekend. And then we'll rejoin you sometime early next week to talk all things Cardinals after their series against the Giants. And then catch you up to speed on what's been going on against the New York Mets as well. Maybe some fireworks will have happened by then. So keep yourself locked and loaded on B-Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Heck, even Google Podcasts if you're feeling frisky. And make sure you're ready to go when uh, when I when I post that Gorman 
or Xander Bogart's conversation. That should be a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening and tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.